بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورديت لكم الإسلام دينا الله ومن يطع الله ورسوله يدخله جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها وذلك الفوز العظيم صدق الله العظيم the ayat of the Quran Sharif that I recited first was the ayat that was revealed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam on the final hajj of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Where Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala says, Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum That today I have perfected for you your deen. Wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati And I completed my ni'mat, my bounties upon you. Wa radiitu lakum al-islam adina And I am pleased with Islam as a deen for you. So in the time of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam deen was completed deen was perfected in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and then Allah Ta'ala says tilka hududullah after explaining all the laws of inheritance Allah Ta'ala says these are the limits of Allah and wamay yuti'illaha wa rasula you obey Allah and his rasul you follow these laws of inheritance yudkhilhu jannatin tajri min tahtiha al-anhar khalidin fiha Allah will enter him into gardens which rivers flow beneath it. And that is the greatest success. So just follow the laws of inheritance, what Allah Ta'ala has stipulated in the Quran Sharif. Deen has been completed, deen has been perfected, and we won't have no problems in dunya also, we won't have no problems in the akhirat. Many a time people object, why is it that the male gets more and the female gets less? That is a decision of Allah Ta'ala. Although ulama have given various answers, and we don't want to go into those answers. But simply it is the decision of Allah, follow the decision of Allah, you'll have happiness in dunya also and akhirat. In another verse Allah says that, وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنِ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ It is not correct, it is not appropriate for any believing man, neither any believing woman. إِذَا قَدَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ When Allah and His Rasul have made a decision in a matter, أَيَّكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ That they have some choice in that matter. They want to comment, they want to say something in that particular matter. So similarly in inheritance also, just follow the laws of Allah and His Rasul In that Mahzumara Yunus Patel Sahib Rahmatullahi there was one major inheritance germs in Durban. So many ulama tried to perhaps solve this dispute, they couldn't, dis- uh, they couldn't solve the dispute. So finally they called Azumar Yunus Patel Sahib Rahmatullahi So Hazrat went. So when he went there, the first thing that he did, he picked up the Quran Sharif. And he told them that, what is this? So they all said, this is the Quran Sharif, the Kitab of Allah, Tabaraka wa Ta'ala. So he says, tell me if a person, he says, I believe in the entire Quran Sharif, from the beginning to the end. But only one verse of the Quran Sharif I got a problem with. One verse of the Quran. What is the status of that person? So they all said, Kafir, you will lose his Iman. You believe in the whole Quran. One verse you reject of the Quran, finish, you will lose your Iman. So Murana said that, see, if you're saying that this is the Quran Sharif and if you reject one verse it is kufr, I am going to rule and I will come to a decision according to the kalam of Allah Ta'ala. If you're not happy, that means you're not happy with the kalam of Allah Ta'ala. Finished, the matter was solved. There was no problem left now. Understand that if our matters according to Shariat, we won't have any problems. Before going into the actual will document, we don't want to go too much into the will document. Everything, all the clauses in the will document have been structured in accordance to Sharia. 
So basically before we go in there, there are certain matters that should be rectified before we fill in this will document. If these matters are not rectified, and we're going to fill in the will document, although we have a shari'i will, the will that is filled in is a shari'i will, but these matters are not rectified, the sharia, the will will be not, it will not be sharia compliant. So certain matters have to be in order first before we fill in this will document. One is, <coughs> One common problem, these are the problems that I've experienced over the years and these are the problems that I have written down. So we can benefit from you inshallah. That a father, he starts a business, he has a thriving business, he's going well. So the son comes in, he's with the father in the business, the wife is with the husband in the business. Now when he starts building that empire of his, and now he's paying a lot of tax. So what happens now, the father says that, look, let's do this, form a company, form a CC for example. Bring my son onto the CC, bring my wife onto the CC. So on that company now, the wife is given a 20% share. The son is given a 20% share, meaning 60% of the business. But in reality, has the father sold the 20% to the son? Has he sold the 20% to the wife? No, he hasn't done this. So in essence, what conclusion are we going to come to? The conclusion we come to, the father is the owner of the business. But in paperwork, legally, if the father has to die tomorrow, the wife can come up with her CC document, her share certificate, and she could say, I'm a 20% owner. The son can say, I'm a 20% owner. And this is where we have a problem all the time. Because the son is saying, right now, we had a problem now about two to three weeks ago. Person, his assets are worth in millions. His income, 500,000 rand a month. 500,000 income. But people with that type of income, they are fighting. So what happened? The one son was registered as a 20% shareholder in, on the CC document. The other son also 20%. So they're saying that he doesn't form part of the estate. Whereas the others are saying that no, that it was my father's for legal purposes, for tax purposes, they were registered. So if for example a person, he registers his wife, he registers his son, or any family member on the CC document as a shareholder, and you haven't sold it to them, you did it for tax purposes, have a separate document. Get that separate document thing belongs to me. And the day I pass away, all this will form part of the deceased estate. I have just made my son and my wife a shareholder because get them to also sign, to acknowledge it. So tomorrow there is no problem. So this is one major issue. We have all the time this particular issue. The second issue that we have many a time is where the husband, he gives the house over to the wife. So they also, what he does for legal purposes many a times, he just transfers the wife, the house over into the wife's name. Now the house, he hasn't sold it to her. He hasn't gifted it to her. And we'll come to the gifting aspect later on inshallah. He hasn't gifted it to her. He hasn't sold it to her. But he, he transfers it onto her name. Now because it's transferred onto her name, when he passes away, what she says, she brings out the document. She says, this is mine. This doesn't form part of the estate. Just by transferring a property into the spouse's name or in any other person's name, that person does not become the owner of the property even though legally, if they take that document and they go into the court, the court would rule in favor of that person that this person is the owner of that particular property. So if we have sold it to the wife, then have a separate document that I have sold it to the wife. Get witnesses to that, that this is now excluded from my estate. And if it is not sold to her, then have a document stating that for whatever purpose I have transferred 
it onto my wife's name, property, and the day I pass away, it will form part of the deceased estate. So there will be no problem later on. Now many a times, we say, no, no, I'm gifting it to my wife. So we're sitting one day at home with all the children, we'll call all the children and we'll tell them, look, this house over here, I'm gifting it over to your mother. You're all witness to it, isn't that so? All of them say, no, we witness to it. You gave it over to our mother. And from that day, it's now the mother's house. The day the father passed away, all the children say it was gifted to the mother. But there's a procedure that we have to adhere to. For the gift to be valid in terms of Sharia, there is a procedure also. And you'll find that 90% of the people, they make this problem, they make this mistake. Why? We don't ask, what is the masla? Just ask the masla. Just type the question and send it in. Make one phone call. Ask, what is the masla's house? Let's say the husband says, in order for that gift to be valid, the husband needs to remove all his personal belongings from his house. To the extent his clothes that are in the house, he must take it outside. If there's any furniture that belongs to him, he must take the furniture outside. And he has to leave the house as well and go and stand outside. And after standing outside, now he must tell his wife that I gift the house over to you. So there's no possession of his that is in the house. He gives it over to the wife. The wife takes possession of the house. When she takes possession, now it's her house. Now the husband has to take permission from her. Can I come back in the house and stay in the house? When she gives him permission, now he can come back into the house with all his goods, with all his belongings and then continue remaining in that house. If he doesn't follow this procedure and tomorrow has to pass away, that gift is invalid. And when it is invalid, that house will now form part of the deceased estate as well. So this is a major issue that we have as well, where people just tell the wife that I've gifted it to you. Or they just write on a piece of paper, I have gifted my house to my wife, whatever her name is, get two people to witnesses, the gift is invalid. So an easy way to overcome this problem, where you don't have to remove your goods from the house, just sell it to your wife. Sell it to her for 10 rand. Sell it to her for 50 rand. No problem. The deal is done. Nobody can stipulate what at what price you must sell your house, what price you must sell your car, any item, what price it must be sold at. That is left to your discretion. You want to sell it for 1 rand, you can sell it for 1 rand. You want to sell it for 1 million rand, you can sell it for 1 million rand. But when you sell the house, now we're not left with this complication where you have to remove your goods, you have to come out of the house, all this then falls away. So just have a simple agreement of sale and in there get two witnesses to it, husband signs, wife signs, finish, the matter is solved. So it is so easy if you just have to follow the rulings. Another matter, it come, uh, another problem that we have, or many a time we form a trust, here again to save taxes. So all the problems come about when we're trying to save tax. So what happens, we try to form a trust. And now in that trust document, what do we do? We bring, maybe we have four children. So we bring four children as beneficiaries of the trust. And we say each son, each child is a 25% beneficiary of the trust. So if the day I pass away, they will get all the income that is there. But in actual fact, in your lifetime, the, the, the father of the house, in his lifetime, he never sold that these properties, these assets now to the children. Neither has he gifted it to them in accordance to Sharia. So he remains the owner of those particular assets, those properties. So the day he passes away, the law of succession, the Sharia law of succession, the law of inheritance is applicable to all these properties. So these children, they come up with the trust document, see we are all 25% beneficiaries of, the, of these properties. It is incorrect. This is Actually, it forms part of the deceased estate. Now, a person is using somebody else's wealth because what's supposed to be part of the deceased estate, now they are usurping somebody else's money. 
Right? The son, for example, he's supposed to be getting double, but the sister is getting equal to him. So the sister is using part of her brother's money. And for this she is responsible in the court of Allah. But where the problem came about? The problem came about because the father did not structure things correctly. If let's assume the father, he gave his children, each one of them, 25% in his lifetime, or he sold it to his children, 25% in his lifetime. In this case, the children will become the owners of these properties, these assets that are, in, that are part of the trust. But in this case, all the income from these properties, the income from the properties, then doesn't go to the father, because he sold it to them already. They are already the owners of it. So the income of the properties must now go to the children. And if the children consent happily, voluntarily from their side, okay, we want the income to go to our father as long as our father is living. That is a separate matter altogether. But it could happen that at some time, the child needs money. And he tells the father, right, I'm retracting, you can't use my money any longer. I want my money. So it is a bit dangerous over here as well. This is the correct way. If a person wants to give it in his lifetime, then follow the correct method, the correct procedure, and either sell it or give it in the lifetime. Another question that we all will get most of the time, or many a time, if many times people ask that should I give my wife uh, give my house over to my wife either sell it to her gift it to her correctly whatever the case may be should I give it to my wife because people are worried about their children sometimes the children later on they turn against the mother and we've seen this again and again so should I give it to my wife shouldn't I give it to my wife so here what we normally advise everybody that sell only 50% to the wife and 50% you keep for yourself. So if the husband got 50% and the wife has to pass away, he's holding 50%. And in her 50%, if he's got children, he's going to inherit 25%. So 25 of the 50% because he's holding 50. So 25 of the 50%, which is 12.5. So he then owns 62.5% of that particular house. And the rest of it will be now given to the heirs. So he's a major shareholder. And if it happens the other way around, that for example, the husband has to pass away. The wife is already holding 50% of the house. And the, she is going to inherit, if there's children, 12.5% of the 50%, which is 6.25%. So she will inherit now, in total she will own 56.25%. So she will be a major shareholder in the house. So now there's no problem. Because either spouse, they became the major shareholder in that particular house. If you want to buy the rest of the shareholders out, you either buy them out and no problem, you can continue, the house will become yours. So this is one way of protecting both spouses. We have seen that people that were 60 and 70 years old, previously, perhaps 20 years back, they had given everything to their wife. And then today we are living in a time where 60 year old people, 70 year old people, they are also getting divorced. And when they get divorced, if everything was given to the wife, now the wife tells the husband, everything belongs to me. You leave the house and you move on. So he is left with no choice. He has to leave the house and he has to continue. So this is one way of protecting both parties. The next matter is in regards to marriage of... Uh, in community of property. So in the previous time, we know most of the people that got married, they got married in community of property. And this is again Sharia. In Sharia, whatever belongs to the husband, whatever he got, that belongs to him. And whatever belongs to the wife, that belongs to the wife. So it's not that whatever the husband owns 50% must go to the wife, and what belongs to the wife, 50% goes to the husband. That is un-Islamic. So how do we correct this particular matter? So one is, there is the legal procedure of reversing the community of property. MashaAllah, we got good attorney one is amongst us as well Bilal mashallah he is very well uh, versed in all these and in these matters so in community of property we can't reverse in the entire thing but there's a cost 
approximately 50 to 100,000 rand cost that is involved in reversing it. Where for example a person has to file for a court divorce and then you register the marriage ANC, anti-nuptial contract without the accrual system. So that is the way. But then you need a very very good lawyer to do this, to carry out this work because if a person, he now instructs his wife that I want you to go and file for the divorce. So she is acting on the on whose instruction? On the husband's instruction. So she files for the divorce and the divorce is granted. So she acted on the husband's instruction that divorce is effective. It is valid in Sharia. Or for example the wife, she files for the divorce and the document is now handed out by the court that the divorce has been granted. They bring it to the husband. The husband signs. When he signs, he is approving of that divorce. That I have divorced my wife. So that divorce is valid. So therefore you require an attorney that knows exactly how to go ahead with this so that they, the divorce is not effective, the divorce doesn't take place. So this is the more difficult way of correcting the matter. But the easy way to correct the matter is that a person, he sits with his wife, he explains to her that look, we have to go in accordance to Sharia. We need this estate to be dissolved in accordance to the commands of Allah and His Rasul wasallam. So, let it go through to the master of the court. When it will go to the master of the court, he is going to pass the ruling according to community of property, 50-50. But when it comes back from the master of the court, you know, correct me if any way incorrect. When it comes back from the master of the court and it comes back to the executors, the executors can ensure that everything goes according to Sharia. And they can do the distribution in according to Sharia. So now we got no problem whatsoever. Because when it comes back to the executors, they have done everything according to Sharia. If the executor, he did anything against Sharia, that is why the executors also should be very careful. If they went against the Sharia, they will be held liable in the court of Allah wa ta'ala that why was this estate was, why was it dissolved against the laws of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi explained to me that in, the, in December 2014, the court had passed the ruling, the high court had passed the ruling, the high court, was it? Constitutional court, this year was it? They had, they had passed the ruling that, uh, that um, marriages, Islamic marriages, that uh, they, they are out of the Community of Property Act. So although they are out of Community of Property, but then also the, the judge can ask at a later stage for redistribution of the assets. And if they ask for redistribution of the assets, then again it's going to go against Sharia. Meaning they're going to distribute the assets between the husband and the wife. Whereas we explained before that whatever belongs to the husband, that belongs to the husband. And what belongs to the wife, that actually belongs to the wife. So this is another matter pertaining to marrying in community of property. Then comes the matter of executorship, that who should we appoint as an executor of an, our estate? So a person, number one, there are certain conditions that have to be fulfilled. Number one, a person has to be balik. Any executor of the estate, he must be a mature person. Number two, akil, a person that is sane, he is understanding, he must be made an executor. Number three, he must not be a fasik, a person that doesn't openly break the laws of Allah, Taqi person, a pious person, you should appoint a pious person to be the executor of your estate. Number four, Abanad Dar, he must be a trustworthy person. He will do everything in accordance to Sharia. And number five, he must have the ability of dissolving that estate in accordance to Sharia. Somebody doesn't know how to dissolve an estate. He doesn't know the ABC of inheritance. But now you're appointing him as an executor of your, of your estate. How is, gonna, is he going to help you to solve that and distribute that estate after your demise? So somebody that knows he's got some expertise in this particular matter, that's a type of person that should be appointed. 
Now if a person, he is appointed as the executor, you need to go up to the person and tell him that I want to appoint you as an executor of my estate. If he agrees that I am prepared to be an executor of your estate, then you appoint that particular person. Now let's say you pass away. When you pass away, that executor comes up and he says that, you know what, I want to be dismissed. I don't want to be part of this estate any longer. I don't want to continue with the duties. Now he doesn't have a choice in this particular matter. In a Muslim country, the Qazi will force him and he will be bound to continue serving that particular estate and ensure everything is dissolved in accordance to Sharia. And this is one particular instance. Normally in Sharia, where a person, he keeps quiet. He silence. This is a sign of acceptance. But in this one particular issue, if, the, if a person goes to another person and he says, I appoint you as the executor of my estate and he keeps quiet, it will not be regarded as acceptance. This is what we call tacit approval. Tacit approval will not work in this particular instance. The person, he must clearly mention that I accept this duty or I don't accept. If a person, if you appoint somebody as an executor of your estate, so you appointed him in your lifetime, you didn't inform him, you didn't tell him that I'm appointing you as an executor of my estate. Thereafter, the person passes away. When he passes away, now when the will comes out, the will document is taken out, now this person then comes up. So he wasn't informed that I am going to be made an executor of this estate. So he has a choice at that particular time. Does he want to be the executor or he doesn't want to be the executor? Immediately if he says, I don't want to be the executor of this estate, he has a choice of quitting. But if he accepts the responsibility at that time, and maybe a few months later he says, that I don't want to be the executor of the estate, then later on he cannot, he won't be dispersed from his position, he will have to continue serving. What we found also that is very important to get a good attorney or a good accountant depending who is now going to be responsible for distributing and dissolving, winding up the estate, get a good attorney, make him an executor. Oh, because eventually whoever you make an executor of your estate, he has to go to an accountant, he has to go to an attorney so that everything is winded up in accordance to Sharia. As, as to, as it, in, sorry, in other words, it has to go to the master of the court. So appoint a good attorney, a good uh, accountant and they will do it correctly. Whilst we're in Johannesburg, Karolia, Gina and Associates, Hafiz Muhammad Kaka and his brother Hafiz Yusuf Kaka. MashaAllah, they were well geared up with this matter. And when we walked to them, we found that very well they had uh, winded up estates, they had dis they, they done the distribution right from the beginning, right up till the end. And many a times you will instruct them that do this according to Sharia, do that according to Sharia. They will do it 100% in accordance to Sharia. Then comes the matter of executor's fees. According to South African law, any person that is an executor, he is entitled to charge a fee. The fee is stipulated, isn't it? So about three and a half percent. Right, at least about three and a half percent is stipulated. That is the executor's fee. But in terms of Sharia, a person is not allowed to charge an executor's fee. What is the executor's fee? That person is acting as an executor on behalf of a deceased person. And when the deceased person, so that means there's a contract, a hiring contract between the executor and the deceased person. But when the deceased person dies, he can't hire anyone. So therefore, there's no such thing as an executor's fee in terms of Sharia. It is not permissible to charge a fee in terms of Sharia. Then, if so many a time we appoint two people as executors on the uh, on our will document. So, if you appoint, for example, two executors in terms of Sharia, both executors have to act jointly. One executor can't be a silent executor, and the other one is is an active executor. So, both have to act jointly on the estate. In all the matters, both have to be present and both have to make a decision. Yes, in South African law, it is the same that both executors. If you appoint two people as executors both executors have to act jointly in the estate. But if a person wants, according to 
South African law, if you write a letter of uh, a power of a special power of attorney that the other executor must act on my behalf, then it is fine according to South African law. But in terms of Sharia, it won't be valid. In terms of Sharia, both executors will have to act jointly. The method how an estate is dis, uh, is dissolved, the first thing is you pay for the kafan and dafan. The moment a person passed away, the from the estate you'll use the money to pay for the kafan and dafan of that person. But let's assume the wife passed away first, and she's also got her estate. In the in the instance where the wife passes away first, her kafan and dafan will not be paid from the estate. The husband is still living. So the husband is responsible, he will have to pay for the kafan and dafan of the wife. But if the, if the husband has already passed away and the wife is alone, then in that case from the estate, the uh, expenses for kafan dafan will be taken out. So that's the first step. The second step is you will pay the debts. If a person has left behind any debts, so all the debts will then be paid. If a person left for example million rand and he's got debts of 980,000, you will use the money to pay the debts of 980,000 and only 20,000 will then be distributed amongst the heirs. That's the second stage. The third stage is that if the if the marhum left behind any wasiyat, then you will fulfill the wasiyat up to one third of the estate, up to one to not exceeding one third of the estate, and that is for non heirs. And then the fourth stage is where the distribution takes place amongst all the heirs. Also in the will document, there is a clause for outstanding religious obligations. For example, a person he missed out namaz in his life, a person he missed out fast in his life, or he hasn't paid his zakat in full. So up to one third of the estate, the, the funds can be used to pay for the salah of a person. For each salah that a person missed, it's approximately 26, 27 rands. So for every salah, so you'll have to pay for up to one third of the estate, you can pay for outstanding salah, for outstanding fast, outstanding zakat, but only up to one third, not more than one third of the estate. Similarly, Sajdai Tilawat, when we read Quran Sharif, many a times, we're very negligent in Sajdai Tilawat. We miss out the Sajdai Tilawat. And we really don't attach much importance to this. The Sajdai Tilawat, this is obligatory, this is wajib. So if a person has missed Sajdai Tilawat also, when a person passed away and the Sajdai Tilawat were not made, in this instance also for every Sajdai Tilawat, you'll pay the same amount that you pay for your Salah. If Salah is 26 or 27 rand, for every Sajdai Tilawat, that was missed, you pay 26 or 27 rand. So therefore, in these matters, a person should try and fulfill whatever qazaz a person has, whether it is fasting, whether it is salah, whether it is sajdai tilawat. One lady, she came on one occasion and she said, her husband had passed away and he missed salah. When we calculated, it came to 170,000 rand. MashaAllah, she came up with the money. She said, my husband took care of me very well in dunya. I need to sort it out for him in the qabr. So 170,000 rand she paid. So it's not a small amount. It's a huge amount many a times when we have to pay. Also, when paying for this, first, for example, if a person, he has missed namazes, missed zakat, etc., missed fast, etc., and then he made a wasiyat, for example, certain amount must go to a certain masjid, and a certain amount must go to a certain madrasa. So first, we will pay for his outstanding obligation, religious obligation, namaz, zakat, fasting, you pay for that. If there is any surplus left, then you pay, then you use it towards that masjid, but it must be within the one-third, you can't go beyond the one-third, you cannot exceed the one-third. Then you will use the money towards the masjid. Then you will use the money towards the madrasa. But let's say for the namaz, his zakat, etc. The one third was utilized. No problem. Utilize it here. Nothing for the masjid. There is nothing for the madrasa. Because the religious obligations of a person. That comes first. Also, the executor is generally, he is not required to file or provide any security to the master of the high court. 
So in this particular instance, there's no problem for a person to worry to be appointed as an executor of the estate. He won't be affected in any way. Then comes another aspect of wasiyat. Many a times people want to make wasiyat for their children. So the hadith of the Prophet is la wasiyat ali warif. There is no wasiyat for an inheritor. Anyone that inherits from your estate, you cannot make a wasiyat that certain item must go to that person or certain amount of money must go to that person. Illa antujizahul warasa. Except that the remaining is they consent. They say no problem. Give it to that person. We all agree in, in agreement with it. Then only it is permissible. In a hadith of Tirmizi Sharif, it comes in rajul la yamalu wal maratta bitaatillah sittina sanatan summa yahduruhum al maut fayadurrani fil wasiya fatajiwulhum al nar aw kama qala alayhi salam that a man a woman they make the ibadat of Allah Taala they obey Allah Taala for sixty years and at the time of maut they make a wasiya which causes harm to the other inheritors you you affording a little extra to one heir and you depriving the other inheritors Nabi Alayhi Salatu Salam says the fire of Jahannam becomes wajib on that person. You worked your whole life for that money and now you are doing a favor to one particular heir, one particular inheritor. For that a person has to suffer in the fire of Jahannam. So how particular a person should be that our wasiyat should be in accordance to Sharia. Also sometimes a person he makes a wasiyat uh, in his will that a certain piece of land must be given to a particular masjid I want to make work for it or my house must be made work to a masjid etc. No problem. This is also in order but it must not exceed one third of the total the net but only up to one third the wasiyat will be valid over and above that it will not be valid. A written, the question in regards to a written wasiyat. If a person has a written wasiyat, then also a written wasiyat is valid in Sharia. And according to South African law, a written wasiyat, it must have the signature of the deceased person and there must be two witnesses to it. Then only it will be accepted in the court of law. Then the other aspect comes in regards to gifting of children. If a person is gifting his children in their lifetime, this is also a major issue. When we gifting our children in our lifetime, it is mustahab that we are equal to all our children. You're giving one child 100,000 rand or you're giving one child one house. Then if you got four children, give every child 100,000 rand or give every child one house each. So you must be equal. Or unless for example a person, he gives a little extra to one child on the basis of deen. That this person became, this son of mine became an alim of deen or this child of mine, he is more muttaqi, he has more deen in him. On that basis, but your intention must not be to deprive the other children. Rahmatullah and fatwa is given on the view of Imam Yusuf Rahmatullah. Imam Yusuf Rahmatullah says that in this instance it is particular, it is permissible, there is no problem with it as well. Then uh, when a person passes away, we find that in the will we don't stipulate that how much goes to each heir. Many people want to calculate in their lifetime how much are my heirs going to get, how much is my wife going to get, my children, just to get an understanding is fine, no problem with it. But this cannot be stipulated, it cannot be written down because we don't know who is going to pass away first. Sometimes the child passes away first, sometimes the wife passes away first. So all the shareholders, the shares are going to now uh, change. The, the, the percentage that each one is going to inherit is now going to change. So only when a person passes away, then we list down all the family members that is then given over, handed over to some Darul Iftar. They will then work out the share of each heir and they will give you a share certificate which will then be handed over to the master of the court and according to that the, uh, the, 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 the estate will be dissolved. Lately we find that many people, they, there was land in India. 
Now many people went to India to claim their land. Now those people who own the land, they had the land from maybe 60-80 years ago. And those people have already passed away. Many of them. So now if that person passed away, let's say 50 years ago, 50 years ago from then right up to now, we need to work out all the, who are the heirs, who has passed away, and how the estate must be dissolved. So it is very, very important for us to calculate this. We require the month in which the person passed away, the date, the month, and the year in which the person passed away. So when anyone passes away and the estate hasn't been dissolved, it is very important that the year is recorded, the month is recorded, and the date is recorded so everything is dissolved correctly. Then many a times a person passes away, he leaves, his, leaves behind a minor child. And that minor child later on he becomes balik. So when that minor child becomes balik, maybe now he's 17 years old, he's 18 years old. And he says, I want my inheritance. Can the executor hold back the inheritance of this minor child? Now he's reached 18 or 17 years old for, for example. So if the child is able to control his finances, he's able to open his shop, and he's able to run a shop, he can control his, fi- his finances. The executor has got no right to hold back the finance of the child. He must give that the finance, he must hand it over to the child because he has become balik. Yes, if a child is a dim-hooted child, maybe he's 18 years old, but he is not mature enough, he cannot uh, control his finances, he's going to squander the wealth, then according to one view, up to the age of 25, up to the age of 25, the executor can hold back his finance. When he reaches 25, it must be given over to him irrespective of what his condition is. But there is another view also in the mother, that you can hold back his finance irrespective of the age that he reaches because this person is going to squander his money he'll just go and spend all that money and destroy all the money so shariat has given permission to the guardian that you can hold back this money till he reaches a point where he becomes mature and is able to control his finances another matter pertains to the estate duties and charges so all the estate duties and all the charges attorney's costs or accountant's costs whatever it might be all this is paid directly from the estate no heir has to pay from their side it will be paid from the estate many people ask the masla in regards to zakat that for example the estate hasn't been dissolved as yet the money is lying in the account for the last 10 years who is responsible for zakat so as long as the money hasn't reached the heirs the money hasn't come into their hands there is no zakat on these funds if the, if the estate hasn't been dissolved it hasn't been winded up the money hasn't come to the heirs there is no zakat on it but when the money comes into the hands of the heirs now each heir when his zakat date is going to come in he will have to pay his individual zakat if a person passed away with, and he hasn't uh, made up an Islamic will, there is no will. So according to South African law, it will be dissolved what we we'll call interstate. So this is according to South African law. The law will decide there is a certain formula as to how they will dissolve the estate. But obviously it is against Sharia. So that is, it is that why it is very important that we have a proper will in place before a person passed away so everything can be done in accordance with Sharia. Just one or two other aspects. If a will is handwritten, like these wills that we have now before us, so these wills are going to be handwritten. So the will that is handwritten, the master he requires an affidavit to be completed. Is that correct? Right? The master requires an affidavit that needs to be signed and there must be two witnesses to that as well. If it's not a handwritten will, then it is no problem at all. Together with the will, we must always file a copy of the marriage certificate. And the tax number, a person who is working, he's got his tax number with SARS. So that must also be filed with the will. Your banking accounts, whichever banks you are banking with and you have accounts, investments that you have, all these documents should be kept with the will. Investment numbers, your title deeds of all the properties that you have, this should be kept with your will. Uh, 
you should have an inventory of amanat. You got people's amanat by you. People got your amanat. You are owing people money. People are owing money to you. All this should be recorded. So tomorrow if a person passes away, it's very easy for the executor. He doesn't have to go tracing all these various matters and try and sort it out. It is really very, very difficult and frustrating when these matters are not in order and it just prolongs matters. If, a, if, if the matter can be sorted out in six months, sometimes it takes a couple of years. Why? Because before a person passed away, all his documents were not in order. Things were not in order, so it just prolongs matters for us. Then, one is Maradul Maut. This is... Maradul Maut. Maradul Maut refers to the last illness in which a person passes away. So what is actually the definition of Maradul Maut? So one definition of Maradul Maut is مَنْ لَا يَخْرُجُ إِلَى حَوَائِجِ نَفْسِهِ وَهُوَ الْأَسَعِ That person that is not able to come out and fulfill his own needs. You dependent on somebody else. You can't fulfill your own needs. And according to another view, what is Maradul Maut, the fatal, the final illness when a person passes away, is that illness because of which the person passed away. He passed away. But who will be able to tell you that this is the illness because of which a person passed away? The doctors will be able to tell you based on their experience, based on tajruba, they will be able to tell you because of this illness, this person passed away. Now let's say a person is in Maradul Moth. He is now on, the, on his last moments. He is now passing away. Now in th- at that time, he tells a certain child, my car, I am giving it over to you. So will it be valid? Will that car then go to the child? This now falls in the ruling of a wasiyat. And we mentioned earlier that a wasiyat for an heir is invalid. So therefore if the father tells the son in his maradun mot, when he's passing away, I give you the car. So that gift is not going to be valid because that is a wasiyat and a wasiyat for an heir is not valid until all the heirs they consent to it. Similarly sometime, the father all of a sudden, now he's passing away. So now he could say to the one son, he could tell the heirs, this particular son I owe him one million rand. So nobody is aware of it. But when is he saying it? He's making ikrar of a debt. He's saying I owe him one million rand at the time when you're passing away. If the remaining is, they agree to it, then it is fine. And if the remaining is, they don't agree, that no, impossible. Our father is saying this because he wants to afford a little extra to this particular heir. It will not be considered in Sharia, it won't be acceptable. If a person has made a wasiyat, can he retract from the wasiyat? For example, a person who is living, he writes in the world, I want, for example, 100,000 rand to go to a certain madrasa. Now, before he passes away, he wants to retract from that. He doesn't want to give that madrasa any longer. Does he have the right of retracting from it? Yes, as long as he is alive, no problem, a person he can retract from it. Then you get an impermissible wasiyat. An impermissible wasiyat is for example a person says when I pass away, then my heart must be donated or my lungs or my kidney must be donated. That is an impermissible wasiyat. So it's not permissible for the executor to fulfill any wasiyat that is impermissible. Or a person he passed away in Cape Town, but now he made a wasiyat when I pass away my body must be brought to Durban. But he passed away in Cape Town. That's an impermissible wasiyat. Where a person passes away, he must be buried in the closest Qabristan to that particular place. So that was he, the executor now to move his body from Cape Town and bring it all the way to Durban. That is impermissible for the executor. He will be sinful if he gets his body moved from there and brings it all the way here. The last two matters over here, one is the provident fund. So the provident fund, there are two types. One is a voluntary provident fund. The voluntary provident fund is where a person, he goes on his own and he subscribes to this type of a pension fund. So in a voluntary provident fund, let's say he had paid towards it voluntarily 100,000 rand in his lifetime. 
But when he passed away, the provident fund, the company, the insurance company, they pay out 1 million rand. How much he paid? 100,000. And when they pay out, they are paying 1 million rand. So does the 1 million rand form part of the estate? The 1 million rand can't form part of the estate. This is a voluntary fund. So the amount that the deceased put, he paid in premiums, he paid 100,000. 100,000 will form part of the estate. And 900,000 is riba. This is interest. This must be given out to the poor without any intention of reward. And one is an involuntary provident fund, where you're working for a company. So the company, they take out a certain amount from your, uh, from your salary every month without your consent. They don't require your consent. So they will take out a certain amount, they will contribute to the provident fund. And the company also will uh, contribute a certain amount to the provident fund. So the day the person passes away, maybe they'll pay out 1 million, 2 million, whatever, depending how long you work for the company and how much was contributed. Really belonging to the company. So the company is gifting it. So therefore they'll ask the person in his lifetime that you must nominate the beneficiary of the fund. So in this case, that 1 or 2 million that is going to be paid out, it doesn't form part of the deceased estate in this particular instance. So if a person says that the beneficiary of this fund is my wife, that 2 million rand can go to the wife. If he says it must go to my son, it can go to his son because it does not form part of the deceased estate. So you must understand the difference between a voluntary provident fund and an involuntary provident fund. The last is of inheritance of a running business. This is a major issue that we have and it runs for weeks and months sometimes, years sometimes. It is a major issue. A man passes away, he, left, he leaves a very good business, mashallah, and he is gone. Now one son was with the father in the business. And the rest of the children, maybe they were small or whatever the case may be, or they got their own businesses. So that son who was with the father in the business, he continues running that business. And he builds that empire up. It was When the father passed away, maybe it was worth 1 million, he builds it up to million. Now when it is a mighty empire, now all the heirs come and all the heirs say, right, now we want our inheritance. Now the jagra, the whole fight starts now. This son is going to say, it's my effort. I've done all this. All the assets, all the properties, I have acquired everything. You people have done nothing. Now you want a share. So when a person passes away, this goes into problems to such an extent, brothers don't talk. Their children don't talk. It just goes into progeny upon progeny. So the moment a person passes away, sort our matters out. The moment a person passes away, we want to join in the partnership, enter the partnership, go to the ulama, go to the muftis, find out that how should we sort this matter out so that later on we don't end up with these type of problems. One or two more issues that this is, uh, okay, this is already in the world, so I don't think there's need to read this, Omar. This is in the world already, isn't it? Sir? Read it off. The following... The, the following must be adhered to to ensure that the will is legally valid. Number one, the will must be completed and signed in black ink only. When you write in this will document, only a black pen must be used. Any other color will invalidate the will. Right? If it is typed out, at the Darul Iftar normally we type it out for our clients, but if it is typed out, then there's no problem. The second is a will should be single-sided only. It shouldn't be a double-sided page. When you, when you print it out, it must be single-sided. Number three, like how this will is, you will see that it is single-sided. Number three, the testator and witnesses are required to sign in full on every page. Testator meaning whose will it is. That person, the testator, so he must sign in full and the witnesses also in full. Initials alone will not suffice. 
any alteration in the will required the full signatures of the testator and witnesses next to the alteration. So wherever you alter anyway in the will, so the testator must sign the person whose will it is and the witnesses must sign as well. Alterations are strongly discouraged. Should, should you wish to adjust anything in your will, it is advisable to draw up a new will and seek advice from your accountant, lawyer or local alim. So anyway you want to make any changes, rather find out. That is the safer way so tomorrow we don't have a problem. Ensure the spelling of all names and identity numbers match the details in your ID document. No space, no spaces should be left blank. Strike through any blank spaces. No place, you should leave it empty. Immediately put a line through it. If any place is uh, not applicable and it's going to remain empty, just pull a line through it. Although the state only recognizes the will of a person from 16 years of age, every balikh person should ensure that they have a valid will. Once a person reaches the age of 16, a new will must be drawn up for official purposes. So a boy becomes balikh, he could become balikh at the age of 12. He can become balikh at the age of 13. So once he reaches the age of balikh, although the law of the country is not going to accept his will, but in terms of sharia, he must have a will. And then when he reaches 16, then he must fill up the will correctly. So that will be recognized in the court of law. Electronic signatures are not accepted. Ensure that all previous wills are revoked and destroyed to avoid ambiguity and misinterpretation. So if you had a previous will and you made adjustments, now you got a new will. So that previous will, don't leave it lying around. Destroy, rather destroy that will that is over, although it is dated. So the later date, that will obviously abrogate the previous one. But it is still better that we get rid of it. When using a generic pre-printed will, the court will require a declaration, which I've already explained, that that affidavit should uh, accompany it. Important points to note, an executor cannot be a witness. You appoint somebody as an executor of your will. That person cannot witness the will as well. Number two, a beneficiary cannot be a witness. Anyone that is a beneficiary in your will, they cannot be a witness. A person for whom a wasiyah, any wasiyah has been made cannot be a witness. So again, he is a beneficiary. He is benefiting from your wasiyah. So he cannot be a witness and A cannot be a witness. Any potential A or the spouse should not be a witness. South African law doesn't recognize the testimony of a person under the age of 14. So any child under the age of 14, he can't be a witness on the will. He must be over the age of 14. The testator and witnesses are required to sign the will in the physical presence of each other. Gee, this is where we've seen again and again also, where people make an error. What they do, they sign the will. And then they bring it, they say, Malana, just witness this for us. Go to that person, Malana, you just witness this for us. But he, what is he witnessing? He is supposed to witness you signing. And you're not signing in front of him. So the witnesses must witness that the both witnesses must be present. The man must sign in front of you. And then you witness that this person has signed. That is why you are bringing witnesses into the will. They are actually witnessing, witnessing that this person is the one that has signed this particular one. will. In terms of Sharia, two male witnesses or one male and two female witnesses should be appointed. So on the will, either two males or one male and two females. But normally on our wills, on our standard wills, we only have place for two people. So rather make it two males, two males sign on it, and inshallah the matter will be solved. Take inshallah. Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq to follow these guidelines and sort out all our matters. Allah Ta'ala give us all tawfiq inshallah. Subhanallah, bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma, bihamdika, nashadu Allah, ilaha illa, ilaha illa,